Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast at the Cowboy Church of Ellis County. That's a powerful song on so many levels. Because I can't only imagine what it would be like to stand before God. But everybody takes it and they... They think it's going to be an awesome, awesome thing to stand before God. But I could almost see myself standing before God in fear and trembling. And, and then truly being thankful for the life that Jesus gave. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't think there's ever a time where we can not come to you enough in prayer. Lord, asking for your guidance in our lives, asking for your direction in our lives, asking for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. Lord God, we come to you this morning asking all of those things. And Lord, I, I personally ask that you would speak to me and speak through me today. Lord God, as you have changed this message in so many different times and so many different directions. Lord God, we pray for clarity. I pray for understanding from everyone here. Lord God, that they would walk from this place knowing what it is that you desire from each of them, from all of us. Lord, we are here to worship you. We are here to praise you. We are here to surrender to you. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. There are times whenever I love my cell phone, and then there are times whenever I really don't like my cell phone, but sometimes the, the, the craziest things happen, and I, I got a news story that just flashed across my phone the other day, and, and I read the article, and, and as I read it, I, I became uh, just in, engulfed in, in, its, in its meaning and its understanding, and, and I want to read a little bit of this article to you because I allowed my anger just to, to well up, but... Haley Robson was a 16-year-old South Florida high school student when an acquaintance from school approached her at a local pool with an intriguing offer. Did she want to make extra money giving massages to a billionaire in Palm Beach? She agreed. When Jeffrey Epstein tried to grope her while she was giving him a massage, wearing nothing but a thong, she brushed his hand away. Ms. Robeson, Ms. Robeson said in a 2009 deposition for a civil case, and then she continued to visit Mr. Epstein's mansion dozens more times in a, in a more new and lucrative role. She became a recruiter of other teenage girls from her school. I didn't even have to convince them. I just proposed to them, and they took it. After Mr. Epstein's suicide in, in a Manhattan jail cell in early August, federal authorities have refocused their investigation on more than half a dozen employees, girlfriends, and associates whom prosecutors say he relied on to feed his appetite for the girls. According to two people with knowledge of the inquiry, Ms. Robeson, now 33, is among them. And as I sat back and I read that article, I, I, I just tried to figure out why. I've got, I've got six kids, four of which are daughters, three of which are in college. 
And as I sit back and think of a 16-year-old and, and their mind and how it works and all of those things, I, I began to understand. And, and with most of these stories that you read, there's always people that will make all kinds of comments. And, and there's all kinds of, of, of Christian people that will go in there and make all kinds of comments about the individual. I want to read you a, a story. This is not a story. This is a true testimony from a lady that was named Miss P because nobody wants to give their real information on the internet. But she's from Seattle. She said, I was a troubled 16-year-old girl desperate to fit in with other kids in my school but not managing to. I was sad and angry as a teenager. My father died suddenly when I was only 13 and my mother became engulfed in her grief. There was no room in our house for my own grief so I pushed it aside for years. I became sexually active at only 14, looking for affection. I now understand. I also got involved in alcohol and drugs. I can't help but wonder how I would have reacted if approached as these girls were to give a massage to an older man for money. It's very possible that I would have agreed. I was very vulnerable at the time, and I'm just thankful that nothing like this happened to me. I can understand these girls and, and why they agreed to this. I know that agreement for them didn't constitute an understanding of the situation. So many teenage girls appear capable and, and self-possessed as I did, but are really no more capable of understanding who to trust than much younger children are. My heart goes out to these victims, for that is what they are. I hope that we are able to recover. I did, but it took many years of grief and anger that I experienced as a girl. I read those stories today because when we are going through trials, especially in younger age and even in the older age, we tend to turn to the world for answers. We tend to look inside of ourselves and try to figure out the way out ourselves. We try to make the decisions based upon our own knowledge as to where we should go and what we should do. And that led me to the, to the point of, of four things. Condemnation, justification, assurance, and surrender. Those four things I want to talk about today, but the most important of that is the, is the last. So I want you to go with me over to the book of Romans chapter 3 beginning at verse 10. Chapter 3, beginning verse 10. As the Scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was written. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses. 
and to show the entire world and to show that the entire world and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. We are all under condemnation. Every single one of us falls short of what God calls to be holy in glory. Amen? So we all agree that we are all sinners. We all agree that we are condemned. That is something that we all agree on. I want you to go with me over to chapter 5, beginning verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we are confidently and joyfully looking forward to sharing in God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us deliver, develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Justified. Justified through Christ. Saved by Christ. I want you to go with me over to the book of Romans chapter 8. Beginning verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we have as sinners. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied, who no longer will follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If someone hears those words... And, and, we, and we can all agree, even, even people that don't claim Christ, we can all agree in, in condemnation. We can all agree in sin. We can all agree in those things that, that are bad. So we all agree about that. And, and as Christians, we agree that Jesus Christ came and, and died on a cross to save us. And, and we all agree that, that that assures us of no more condemnation so long as we have Christ. So whenever I do stand before God, fear and trembling... I have Christ to intervene. I want you to go with me over to the book of Romans 12. And this is what started my entire journey over the past week. 
I kept on reading Romans 12 and, and I felt as though I was going to preach the entire book of Romans 12 and God allowed me to go through two sections. Verse 1 and verse 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because, all, because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We're going to go through that quite a bit, but, but I want to take you back to uh, where we began. We, we asked the question that, how could somebody think that that would be okay? How could even a 16-year-old girl think that it would be okay to go and, and give massages to a billionaire wearing nothing but underwear? How, how, could, we, how could we begin to think that it's okay for that old man to, to solicit these young girls to do that? How, how, could, how could they think that that would be okay? And, and then you go into even further where, where they, their own girl that's 16 would go to her classmates and recruit other classmates to come in and, and, and perform the same things. How do we get to the point where we think that that's okay? And, and, then, and, then, we, and then we go on and, and, and the lady that comes in and gives her testimony behind it, she gives you somewhat of an understanding of brokenness and, and people being broken and, and lost and they, and, they, and they fall into a pattern of where there's just bad thing after bad thing after bad thing, and they think that they're not worthy. And then as Christians, we get on the, on the same story, and we post, we post things like, man, if they only knew Christ. If they, if they only knew Christ. And there's a lot of truth to that. But, but the answer to that is, is not if they only knew Christ. There are a lot of people that know Christ. There are a lot of people in the church that know Christ. The, the correct answer is, is if they would only have surrendered to Christ. Oftentimes where Christians get it wrong is, is we get lost we get lost in surrender. Think about that. We get lost in surrender. <laughs> I'm going to go here because this is where God wants me to go. Did you know that the statistics say that over 50% of the church, over half the church, is or has been engrossed in pornography? Did you know that statistics say that 68% of men in the church are or have been engrossed in pornography? Did you know that the pornography industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, the NBA, 
and Major League Baseball all combined Did you know that the pornography industry has more revenue than ABC, CBS, and NBC combined? If the church alone would quit viewing pornography, if the church alone would quit viewing pornography, they would almost go out of business. Let that soak in. We understand what condemnation is. We understand that Christ came to die for us. We understand of His assurance of our salvation. What we need to understand as a church is surrender. Your body is no longer your own. Your mind is no longer your own. Your will is no longer your own. I want you to go with me back. Well, we'll stay right where we're at. Romans 12, 1 says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that He has done for you. Let them be living in holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. Give your bodies to Christ as a living sacrifice. Back in the old days, in the Old Testament, what was the sacrifice? The sacrifice was an animal, right? And they brought a living animal in as sacrifice. And what did they do with that living animal? They, they killed it, right? They killed the animal. They drained the blood. What was the sacrifice? The blood of the animal, right? So, so God's not asking you to kill yourself on, on a, as a sacrifice and give him your blood. God is asking you for a living sacrifice. You, you know what the, the, the scholars say the problem is with a living sacrifice? They can get up and walk off the altar. If it's something that's outside what they want to do, they can get up and walk away. The problem with the living sacrifice. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. Go with me over to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to begin at verse 12. And this is Paul speaking. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say, food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. Well, this is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by His power, just as He raised, us, raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? 
Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scripture says the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and, has given, and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. You know, I don't know if it started in the 60s or maybe it started later than then. Sex became one of those things that was just a, a, a fun thing to do. It's recreational sport. And it became a, a, almost a peer thing that it, it's okay to do that kind of stuff. But God's Word says it's not. So we have a choice to follow the way the world teaches or we have a choice to follow the way that God teaches. Only one of those involves surrender. Everything that you do with your body should be in dedication of the Holy Spirit. When, when, when you are doing anything with your body, you're, you're doing it for, for the Holy Spirit. We are to care for our bodies because they are housing the Holy Spirit. That means that if you have knowledge or you are doing something intentionally that you know is harming your body, you're in violation of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not just talking about sexual things. I'm talking about anything to do with your body. And if you know of something that is that fact, then, then it's time to start praying about that God removed that from you. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27 just a minute ago, I hit Jake with my Bible and I told him this is what I was doing. Actually, we're going to jump back to verse 24. Paul again. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself will be disqualified. What is Paul saying there? Paul's saying that his, his flesh wants what his flesh wants. And, and he consistently has to beat it back into shape. The NLT is very, very nice in their use of words. It says discipline. You go back to NIV or ESV and it says, I beat my body, physically beat my body into shape so that it will stop doing those things that it is wanting. It's one thing to, to have and understand the body belongs to God. The body is the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't want your body to do things that are outside of what God would want you to do. But the importance of Romans 12 is he doesn't stop there because he knows that you have to have all three of these things in order for it to work. 
Don't copy the behaviors and customs. We're back in Romans, verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. By changing the way that you think. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. So God wants our bodies to house the Holy Spirit as temples. And He wants our minds to not think the way that other people do. True statement. In fact, lots of statistics out there for it. And it's sad, to be honest with you. Christians are beginning to look the same as non-Christians. Instead of Christians not conforming to the ways of the world, more Christians today are conforming to the ways of the world, to the day's views and lifestyles. Christians are not meant to be chameleons. We're not meant to go into the world and become so much a part of the world that you cannot recognize the difference between someone that is a acclaimed Christ follower and someone that is not. That is not what God has called us to do, is it? We're called to be set apart. We're called to be different. We're called to be the ones that people could pick out of a crowd and go, that person is a Christian. And yet whenever people come uh, to, to some sort of a, a sin that, ah, well, you know, that's, that one's kind of questionable, we start to fall into a pattern of, well, that, that sin must be okay, you know, because there's a lot of people doing that sin, so, so it must be okay. Well, you know, everyone else does it. You know what the most dangerous thing is in a school when you're going to school? Most dangerous thing, peer pressure. Somebody got it right off the bat, peer pressure. You know what the most dangerous thing is in the world? Peer pressure. You, you know what causes most people to walk in, a, in the wrong direction? Peer pressure. Group thinking. If everybody else is going this way, they must be going the right way, right? Wrong. That's, that's not right at all. You know, the, the Word says that the path is wide that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate. You know, I, I, used to, I used to really just despise some of the cows that I have. You laugh. I, I really did. I, I would go out to the pasture, and every single time that I would go out to the pasture, I would, I would always honk, honk the horn, and all the cows would come up, and they would come to the feed trough, and they knew to come to the feed trough, and I'd dump feed in there. <coughs> well, it, it never failed that all those cows would come in, and those are the ones that we would use, and we'd bring them up here, and we'd rope them. And I would always have three or four cows that would stand out in the middle of the pasture. And I used to despise those cows. I couldn't stand them because they were not conforming to the way that I wanted them to do. But they were free thinkers. And they knew, hey, stupid, if you go in there and eat that, yeah, it might taste good, but he's going to use you. 
So I'm just going to stand out here and wait till he hauls y'all off, and then I'll go in there and finish whatever y'all didn't eat. As Christians, we should be the ones that are questioning everything, right? We should question everything to this book. If it does not conform to this book, then we should not conform to following it anywhere. God wants our mind. God wants our body. He wants our mind. You know what the mind controls? Everything. If the flesh is controlling the mind, you will do the things of the flesh. If the spirit is controlling the mind, you will do the things of the spirit. The mind controls your attitude. Your mind controls your thoughts. Your mind controls your feelings. And your mind controls your actions. The mind controls what the body does. Our mind... What does he say about our mind? Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. The only way that God can transform you is if you yourself are seeking God's Word. If you yourself are seeking God's Word, not just reading it, but praying over it. If you yourself are seeking God's Word and digging into it to where you truly want to know the understanding of it. And not only that, but having true Christian fellowship. True Christian fellowship. In other words, if you're going to follow along with anybody, you want to make sure that you are following along with somebody that's going in the same direction that God is. Someone that's not going to be leading you astray. We're not called to live this life alone. We're called to do it in, in community, which is why we have connect groups in our church. It's about bringing everybody together with the same common denominator, which is Christ, and then learning together and living life together. The mind is a very powerful thing. It can only be trained doing the same exact thing that, that Paul said, beating it into submission. The only way that our mind will get away from the things of the world is if we are in God's Word. Then he goes on to say this, the end of verse 2. Then you will learn to know... God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Don't miss, that, don't miss that one important word, then. First, your mind and your body have to be surrendered to God. Then you will begin to understand the will of God and what it is that He wants. First, your body and your mind have to be surrendered to God. Then you will understand what His will is. What is our will? I've got all day. Selfishness, flesh. It's about us. 
So, so whenever, whenever I want to do something, then I'm going to do it, right? So my will is, is, is I want a uh, brand new F-350 truck, four-wheel drive. I, I want one of those, so that's my will. I want a 32-foot horse trailer with living quarters so that I can go wherever I want to. That, that's my will, and so that's what I'm going to focus my life on. I'm going to focus my life on getting those things because that's what I want. Our will is what? Self-motivated. Our will is about self-preservation. Our will is about what, it, what we need, what we deserve, what we think is going on, that, that it, it's all about me. We are raising an entire generation of those right now. It's all about me. You know whose fault is? Ours. Because we didn't surrender to Christ, we surrendered to the world. The world tells us that you are, it is yours, you're supposed to have that. It's yours. The only way that we will understand God's will is if we surrender our body and our mind to Him. And we are no longer thinking about, oh, what can I do for me? What makes me happy? What pleases me? What's the most important thing in my life? What am I going to do today with myself? The world produces fruits just as the Spirit produces fruits. Ephesians 5.19 says this, When you follow the desires of your flesh, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Have you ever seen any results like that in this world? You ever seen any, any idolatry in this world? Anybody idolizing something that's outside of God? We've already talked about sexual immorality. Any of you ever had a quarrel or a fight? Did you know that the courthouse has is, is so, got so many arguments and fights going on right now that they have to put you off for six to eight months? Did you know that they, what they say is, is over half of those people that go in there claim to be Christian? <laughs> Jealousy? Outbursts of anger. Man, let me tell you what. I've been there. I'm not saying that we have not fallen into sin. What I am saying is, is that's not where God is wanting us to, to live. The only way that we can get away from what the world is producing and, and, and move on to what the Spirit wants to produce is to surrender ourselves. And ask forgiveness on a daily basis. And then when we step back into a pattern of sin, we ask forgiveness again and we move forward. Beating our body and our mind into submission. Not just continuing to live there and say, well, everybody else is doing it. 
Verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there is no law against these things. Your life is no longer your own. It was bought at a high price. Your body is no longer your own. It was bought at a high price. If we are called to be living sacrifices to God, then we have to surrender. Some people use the, the $53 word called sanctification. I choose to use the $3, $3 word called surrender. What does it mean to surrender? When, when I first started roping, I had a really good, really good rope horse. And, and she, she ended up getting pregnant and having a baby, and, and I had to start another horse. So, so I did. I, I started her full brother. And, and so whenever I first started riding him, he, he was about four years old because he had been in the pasture, and, and he had been a boy his whole life. So for most of you that know, when, when you leave a horse uh, a stud for that long, they become really fresh. And, and you can't control anything that, that they do. You can't control their movements. You can't do anything. And so the, the way that we talk in the horse world is the, the best stud horse is one that you've gilded. So we did. We gilded him. And he was about four and a half, coming five years old. Had never been ridden, never been messed with or anything else. But he was a big horse. And so I made the decision that I was going to start riding him and start roping off of him. He was really good. Whenever you were on him, the the problem with him was is he was extremely intelligent. He wanted to do things his way. He had been living in a pasture, and for you to bring him out of that pasture, out of the world, into this place where now I have to I have to mind you and do what you say, I'm not doing that. And so every time I would put my foot in the stirrup, he'd just stand there real still, nice and calm. But as soon as I started to throw my leg over, he'd come unglued and, and literally flip me over the top of him, throw me off the back of him, pitch me off the side of him. I would land on the ground, and you know what he would do? He would walk over to me and just kind of stand. Like, yeah, how'd that work out? But I would always get back up, and I would get on him, and I would ride him. And I would ride him until he was completely sopping wet with sweat. And then whenever I would go to get off of him, <laughs> he would buck me off again. We did this consistently, him and I, for, for probably two or three months until he finally started submitting to me. He, 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 it was like, you know what, I, I'm kind of starting to like this guy. He, he, he feeds me extra whenever I, you know, do, do this and, and, and I get to stay in the barn and, and he's brushing me and, and he's taking care of me and, and I got these new shoes on my feet. I ain't never had any of this stuff. And so then he, he started to become a, a completely different horse to where whenever I would go out to the pasture, he was the first one coming to me. To where whenever I would go out to, to, to ride, he, he was the one that, that I would go to in, in every... In every situation we began he began to submit 
his, his life to me. Oh, sure, he gets to go out in the pasture, and he's in the pasture, but whenever I walk out there, he comes to me, and it's like, what, what do you want to do? Let's go. In everything that he does. And, and so he, he began to, to become one of the best rope horses that, that I've ever owned. And, and he still is today. He's, he's a lot older, but he, his, his, his whole attitude in life changed. He was, he was living wild and free and did not want to submit. And then when he finally submitted, his life became way better. He's eating way more. And, and get this, he now has a purpose. A purpose. And he knows what his purpose is. His purpose is to do whatever I ask him to do because I am his master. He submitted his body to me. He submitted his mind to me. And he submitted his will to me. It's amazing what we can learn from a horse. Finding a purpose in, in our lives greater than the one of this world is by submitting our, our body, our mind, and our will to God. Surrendering it to Him. Living for Him as a living sacrifice for Him. If you want an example of true Christianity, stop playing church and surrender your life to God. As a Christian, the only way to do those things is by seeking God's Word and by seeking God's direction. And the only way that we can do that is by being in His Word and living in His Word. I want to close with a question. And I don't want you to answer it in here. I want you to answer it in, in your groups. I want you to answer it with other fellow believers. Are you ready for the most incredible journey that you will ever go on? Are you ready for the most incredible journey that you will ever go on? Then surrender to Christ and don't get lost in surrender. Don't get lost in surrender. Let's go to the Lord in word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord God. In what I feel like is a very difficult message, but Lord God, that is so much needed. You have called us to be set apart from this world. And I pray that today that you have opened the eyes of those that would listen. And Lord God, that they would begin a new walk with you surrendering themselves to you. Lord God, seeking your face and not their own. Lord, we all fall short. And we thank you for your Son. We thank you that we are no longer condemned. We thank you for your assurance of salvation. We thank you for that life that when we stand before you, we have Christ to lean on. But Lord God, I pray that each one of us would understand and know what it means to be 
a living sacrifice for You. Lord God, that our words and our actions and our deeds would be the same as Yours. Lord God, I I understand completely that we live in this world. We live in this world. But Lord God, let us be set apart. Let us be different. Lord, we love You and we praise You now in Jesus' name. Amen. For this sermon and many more, check out our website at www.cowboyfaith.org.